We're going to hear from God's Word as uh, Phil brings our Bible reading, uh, which is from Matthew 12. But uh, before we uh, read God's Word, let's, let's come before him in prayer. We thank you, Father, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We ask that you'd open our hearts to receive your Word, that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So reading uh, from Matthew 12 from verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. At the final... And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Thanks, Phil. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Teaching, rebuking, correcting training in righteousness. Those four things are a a combination of what you could call positive and negative learning. Uh, So teaching, training, they're positive. It's, you know, be like this, rebuking, correcting. They're negative in that sense. Don't be like this. Now, that's true of the Bible. The Bible is useful for, for those things, positive and negative. It's true of life. We can learn positively from the example of some people and we think, well, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to be like them. And we can learn negatively from the example of other people and we think, well, I I don't want to be like them. And you might already be having people popping into your heads of who you want to be like and who you don't want to be like. And that dynamic is true of life and it's true of this part of the scripture before us we're looking at this morning. There's both the positive and the negative example to learn from and to be encouraged by. So look with me at this part of God's word, but before we do, let's let's pray again and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your your word is, is able to teach and to rebuke and to correct and to train us in righteousness. And Father, we ask for your help in this this morning, that we would learn both positively and negatively. Father, we pray that you would fill us that we would live with and for you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Our section begins with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, remember, these are the people who had criticised Jesus uh, had, and criticised his disciples for not keeping their Sabbath rules earlier in chapter 12. And they'd condemned him because he healed a man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath. They've gone out and they've plotted how they might kill Jesus. And we saw last week they've accused him of being in league with the devil. Jesus has come among them, preaching the kingdom of God, healing people, driving out demons, showing himself to be the long-awaited Messiah, the, the son of David, showing himself to be the spirit-empowered servant, a suffering servant who's going to bring forgiveness, who's going to bring blessing. He has come among them, but the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, have rejected him. And they said to him, verse 38, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, it's interesting they call him teacher. Uh, are they pretending to show him respect? Uh, or maybe this is just a kind of acknowledging what is, what is, what is you know, blatantly obvious to everyone there, that he is, he is clearly a teacher of others. They can't deny that. But either way, in re, in regardless of, uh, of uh, which way the Pharisees uh, see it and whether they actually believe it, it, this little detail does remind us of an important thing of who Jesus is. He is the teacher, and we have much to learn from him. We are his disciples. We are learners of him, the great teacher. The Pharisees, they say, we want to see a sign from you, which I think is a curious thing for them to ask for, given that uh, what has just happened, that they've just seen Jesus heal this, this demon-possessed, blind, mute man back in verse 22. And they saw that, and they... They didn't deny that Jesus had power. They just ascribed his power to the evil one. And so I take it that they're not asking for a sign to show that Jesus is powerful. They already know that. They're asking for a sign to show that he has God's approval, that he is, in fact, from God. Now, on a surface reading, this may seem kind of innocent enough to say, hey, hey Jesus, can you, can you give us a sign to... To show us that you're the real deal. And I'm sure plenty of people have, have done something similar of this, to ask God to give them some sort of sign. You know, God, if you're there, please just show me. Give me, give me a sign. Well, just like the Pharisees, that can sometimes actually be a request that, that comes from someone who is really actually completely ignoring the abundant signs that God has already given. And that was the case for the Pharisees. And Jesus sees straight through this request. He knows their heart. He knows their rejection of him. He knows that their request is really just expressing their, their scepticism and their unbelief. You know, you make these claims, Jesus, prove yourself. It's just a sceptical response from them. And so he answers verse 39, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. He doesn't pull any punches, does he? He continues, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus isn't interested in dancing to their tune, but he does say that they'll get a sign. They'll get the sign of the prophet of Jonah. And then he goes on to spell out, well, what that is. And he spells out a parallel between himself and Jonah. Look there, verse 40. 
He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus here is, is pointing forward to his, his coming death. He's foreshadowing his death, that he will be completely buried dead in the heart of the earth. I think, I think that's the point of the three days and three nights. It's, it's, uh, the significance is that it's complete. It's thorough. He is thoroughly dead and buried. He will be thoroughly dead and buried. But by drawing this parallel with Jonah, he's also hinting that that won't be the end. Just as Jonah didn't stay in the belly of the huge fish, he came back from the depths of death. Jesus will do likewise. I think Jesus is saying here, the only sign you'll get, in fact, the only sign that matters is that he will die and rise again. And really, that is the only sign that matters. It's the only sign that matters today. Now, whether people come from a position of, of searching or of scepticism, at the end of the day, they need to face up to the reality of Jesus and to the claim that he died, was buried and rose again. And more than just that showing that he's powerful, the Bible says Jesus rising from the dead actually declares him to be the Christ, to be the King, to be the Messiah, to be the one who in the end before whom we will all bow. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the sign that's been given and the sign that sooner or later everyone must face up to. So Jesus draws this parallel between Jonah and himself, but the parallel doesn't stop there. See, the prophet Jonah, he pronounced judgment on Nineveh. The Nineveh were the godless enemies of Israel. And when Jonah did that, incredibly, the Ninevites responded. They repented at the preaching of Jonah. You might remember from our series last year, we looked at the book of Jonah. Look there at verse 41. It says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And the Ninevites received a warning. Um, I mean, all they got was little old reluctant Jonah with his uh, eight-word sermon, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And yet, they listened. They responded. They repented. They heeded the warning that came to them. In contrast, those that Jesus spoke to, they, they had so much more than the Ninevites. I mean, Jesus, the, the greater than Jonah prophet, the, the one who is God's promised appointed Messiah, the spirit-empowered suffering servant who walked among them, who taught them, who healed, who performed miracles, they had so much more than Jonah. And yet they still refused to repent. And so Jesus says, the people of Nineveh will stand in disbelief on the final day of judgment and they will shake their heads and say, you guys were given so much. How could you still not repent? And I think there's a warning here for us, perhaps, that we should learn from the, the negative example of the Pharisees to not be like them. If Jesus has come amongst, come amongst us, so to speak, as we've met him in the pages of the Bible, if Jesus has called to us and invited us to come to him, 
to take his yoke upon us, to learn from him, to find rest in him, then we must make sure that on the day of judgment we're standing with the men of Nineveh as those who've repented and not with those generations that have rejected Jesus and stand condemned. So learn learn from the negative example. Don't be like the Pharisees, but learn from the positive example of the Ninevites who, who heeded the warning. They repented and were saved by the astounding mercy of God. So Jesus draws this comparison contrast and and condemns the Pharisees. But the condemnation doesn't stop with, with Nineveh. Look there, verse 42. He continues, The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. Uh, who's this Queen of the South? You can read about the Queen of the South or the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings 10. This uh, Gentile ruler who came from afar to, to listen to the wisdom of, of God's appointed king of Israel, Solomon. And again, Jesus says to those listening, you've been given so much more than she was, but you're still refusing to listen. Jesus is the greater than Jonah prophet, so repent before him. Jesus is the greater than Solomon wise king. So listen to him. Jesus warned, he warned his, the wicked and adulterous generation of his day that if they refuse to repent, if they refuse to listen, then they'll be condemned on the coming day of judgment. There's a warning and an encouragement. But before we, we dig into that and think about that, what are we to make of these next few verses? This story of an unclean or impure spirit coming out and going into a person or, or is it a house? Um, the growth groups I was in this week, we, we kind of puzzled over this, this a bit and tossed it back and forwards and thought, well, what is he saying? How are we to understand what Jesus means by this? Well, the first thing to say is that, uh, that this is actually a continuation of Jesus' teaching. This isn't some kind of random chunk of standalone teaching that's just been sort of dropped in here for us to examine in isolation and sort of come up with various theories of how spirit possession works. No, no, this is a continuation of what Jesus is saying. Notice at the end of verse 45, he says, that is how it will be with this wicked generation. So he's continuing the, the, his condemnation of the Pharisees, of the, of the wicked generation who rejects him. This is part of what he's been saying earlier. Second thing to notice is that the, the overarching point of the story is that Someone is going from, from bad to worse. Now, just before that, in verse 45, it says, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Now, the person goes from having, having one impure spirit to, to having eight impure spirits. Or as someone in my Wednesday night growth group said, they're going from level one to level eight. From bad to, I'm oh, sorry, worse, not worse, bad to worse. So that's the overarching point. So the question is, well, who is this talking about? Uh, earlier, Jesus has been uh, driving out impure spirits from individual people. And in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 29, it, uh, he hints that he's going to, to bind up, the, tie up the strong man, that is Satan, and he's going to plunder his, not his house. And given what, what he's just been saying to the Pharisees, I think there's a good case to say that the, the person or the, the house that Jesus is talking about is 
Well, is rebellious Israel? Is this wicked generation? Specifically, it's that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that he's talking to. It's interesting that one, one of the commentators I read, um, in fact, if you're looking for a good book on Matthew, uh, Peter Bolt's commentary uh, from the Reading the Bible Today series is, is excellent. And in Zechari- um, he pointed out that in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, Zechariah is the second last book in the Old Testament. So it's looking ahead, looking forward. And, and Zechariah looked ahead to a time where he says, a fountain would flow to the house of David, to Jerusalem, and cleanse them from their sin and impurity. And so we've got Jesus, the the Messiah, the suffering servant who's come into their midst, come to the house of David, and he is driving out sin and impurity. And yet the house is empty. They they haven't accepted the Messiah. They, They haven't welcomed him in. The house may be swept clean and, and put in order. You know, they may have all the appearance, the outward appearance of respectable religion, as the Pharisees did, you know, neat and tidy. But they are actually Christless. And so Jesus warns that, that they will not be free of impurity. That they will go from, from bad to worse. Their sin and impurity will continue to compound. Now, no doubt there's, there's parallel lessons for us that we might draw from, from this story that Jesus tells, such as if, you know, if we clean up our act externally but refuse to welcome Christ into our life as Lord and King, well, it's actually only going to lead to further rebellion and in the end judgment. I mean, that's true. But the point of the passage in the, in the first instance is to, to serve as a picture of the judgment that comes to those who who refused Christ, such as the the wicked generation of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Well, what lessons can we learn from this passage? Well, as I said before, I think we can learn both negatively and positively. Uh, We can learn from the the negative example of the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the lesson is to, well, really to beware of Christless religion that will only lead to judgment. Beware of Christless religion that will only lead to judgment. Uh, there's probably many examples that we could point to. You know, people who perform all sorts of religious rituals and who live a, a strict moral codes, but actually whose lives are not occupied by Christ. I mean, they, their lives might be swept clean and put in order, but actually Christ is not there. Jesus is not king of their life. And Jesus warns such people will be judged. We could point to people like that, but you know, better than pointing to others, we ought to check our own heart, check our own life and make sure that we're not just going through the religious motions, but actually that Christ is Lord of our lives, that that he is filling our lives, that, that he is shaping and directing our priorities, our minds, our thoughts, our actions. So friends, learn from... The negative example of the Pharisees don't go the way of self-serving, Christless religion. But positively, there's encouragement here for us. Encouragement to, to stand with the Ninevites and the Queen of the South and learn from them. I mean, think about the Ninevites. All they had, as I said before, was that was the hard-hearted, reluctant prophet Jonah. And yet they repented. They repented in a big way. 
And God displayed incredible grace, incredible mercy towards them. How much more reason do we have to respond? We have the Lord Jesus who has come to us, who has preached the coming kingdom of God, who has warned us of the judgment and has, has opened the way to salvation through his death and resurrection for us. Something far greater than Jonah is, is here for us. For Nineveh, God used Jonah to, to bring about an incredible salvation, an incredible transformation. I mean, it, we read in, the, in Jonah that the entire city fasted and put on sackcloth, including the animals. It was an incredible transformation and salvation. They cried to God and he spared them. You know, that pales into insignificance compared to the, the salvation and the transformation that God has brought to this world, that God brings to us through Jesus. We can stand with, with Nineveh. On the judgment day, we can stand saved by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, having, been, having repented at the preaching of Jesus. Likewise, we can stand with and learn from the, the Queen of the South, who came from the ends of the earth. She went to great trouble to, to come, to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And Solomon was very wise. But we have Jesus who is far greater than Solomon. And so the positive encouragement is, is look to Jesus, learn from him, listen to him, build your life on him and his word. Or put it another way, having been cleansed from your impurity by Jesus' death and resurrection, Welcome him into your house. Fill the house of your life with him. That's really the key point of today's passage, to, to learn from the negative example of the Pharisees and realise that Christless religion will only lead to judgment and condemnation. And to learn from the positive example of the Ninevites and the Queen of the South to repent before the greater-than-Jonah prophet, to listen to the greater-than-Solomon wise king to come to Jesus, to repent before him, to welcome him in and fill the house of your life with him. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do just that. Let's pray. Our Lord God and gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, who walked among us, who taught us of you, who who lived and died and rose again, the Lord Jesus, whom we meet in the pages of the Bible. Father, we pray and ask that you would guard our hearts from Christless religion. Please lead us to repent of our sin. If there are any here today or watching online who have, who have as yet have not repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus for salvation, please lead them to do that. And Father, please help us to, to listen to, to Jesus as our King, to fill our lives with him, to live in response to him in all that we do, in all that we say and think. Father, please continue to transform us into his likeness and we pray in his name. Amen.